0: Good morning again for what, the third or fourth time I think I've said this now? Guys, honestly, it's great to see you here. Um, we have been in uh, a series for I don't know, the last three weeks or so. Um, this is our fourth week called God's Stories. It's been this awesome uh, time where we've been able to hear from people, hear what God's doing in their lives, both good and bad. Some are unfinished stories, some are finished stories of victory, but they're all stories of how God has been working in our lives. Um, I have a privilege to introduce to you um, another friend of mine. And, you know, I realized after the last couple of weeks that, you know, you don't know these people like, like I know them. So I, so I asked my friend Charlie to actually give me a little bio so it makes a little more sense when he comes up here. Can I read that real quick? Okay. Charlie has been an RN for 40 years. Most recently, he worked in uh, corrections at the juvenile detention center in Vernon Hills. He was one of six people who started the Celebrate Recovery program at the chapel in 2008 and recently celebrated nine years of sobriety. He is, married to, uh, he is married and has three adult children and one and a half grandchildren, as I like you put it. Charlie is a wonderful man of God, has a wonderful heart, and actually is also an incredible worship leader, too. Um, but uh, Charlie, I want to give you the stage. Can you guys uh, give a hand to Charlie Burke here? I got the green light. Is that
1: working? Can you hear me? That sounds so weird to hear your voice like magnified like that. Thanks, Mark. Um, I used to be part of a worship team with Mark and Stacy, and it was the early part of my recovery when I just was coming back from a, a two-year drug phase. And so I was new to recovery. I was new to uh, some parts of Christianity, and I wanted to sing with the choir at the chapel. And I think Mark took pity on me and gave me a chance to be part of it. And I'm very grateful for that. <clears throat> ah, my name is Charlie, as we just said. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with addiction and adultery. Um, I like to say that I grew up in the CIA. Now that stands for Catholic, Irish, and alcoholic, despite what you may think. Um, Let me just tell you a little bit about Celebrate Recovery first. It's a Christ-centered 12-step recovery program. And the way it was so nice for me and what I really liked about it the most was when I had gone through AAN rehab several times, and what I discovered was you can't really go to an AA meeting and talk about Jesus or have someone pray with you. It just this doesn't go over very well. And it's hard to go to church and pull a brother inside and say, you know what, I'm really dying for some cocaine right now. So there was, a, there was a dichotomy in my recovery. I had my recovery over here and my Christianity over here. And what I really, really love about Celebrate Recovery is it takes your recovery and your addiction issues and your Christianity and it brings them together. So you can go to a Celebrate Recovery meeting and talk to your brother about Jesus and pray with him and at the same time talk to him about the struggles you're having with whatever addiction that you're wrestling with. Um, The other nice thing about Celebrate Recovery is it's just more than alcohol and drugs. Uh, Celebrate Recovery reaches out to overeaters. It reaches out to people in depression, men who struggle with pornography, and people who struggle with codependency. So it's a complete recovery program. Has anybody here heard of Celebrate Recovery? A few, okay, great. Um, If you're interested, you can Google it, Celebrate Recovery, and it will tell you where the local meetings are, but it's a fantastic program. It addresses people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And don't we all have some of that in our lives? A hurt from maybe a child wound, a habit, maybe it's drugs, addiction, uh, working too much, Facebook addiction, social media addictions, anything we can use to run away from God. And it brings all those things together. So that was a huge part of my recovery. But let me I want to spend most of my time sharing with you how God really restored my marriage. Because you know what? Drug stories are a dime a dozen. And you all have probably heard someone's drug story and addiction in the past because they're relatively common. I do want to say that the family I grew up in, being Irish Catholic... Alcohol, drugs, incest, adultery, depression, that was the environment that I grew up in. So I entered adulthood having no idea what really love was. I thought love and sex were the same thing. I have discovered that they are not. And, of course, everything we did was based upon feeling. I feel like doing this. I feel like doing that. I feel like maintaining a commitment. Or I don't feel like honoring a vow. So that's what I grew up with, and that's what I brought into my adulthood. Um, I'm going to briefly describe a pattern that I was involved with, and then we'll get right to the the recovery. For 20 years, I had a pattern, and this was the pattern. Let's say I'm sober, and I would start drinking or using drugs. My drug of choice was cocaine. And I would get involved, usually with uh, very negative, dysfunctional relationships. And that would escalate over a two- or three-year period of time, characterized usually by loss of a job, um, certainly deep wounds in my marriage, a financial disaster, and relationship disaster. And it would get to a point where you just really can't continue that lifestyle, and I would crash. And when I crash, I would go to rehab or go to meetings or get another job. Now, I did this for a long time, probably over... a a twenty year period, the cycle repeated itself, you know, recovery, relapse, recovery, relapse, recovery, relapse. And of course, <clears throat> every relapse was deeper and darker, and it drove me deeper into depression. Now when I first went into counseling, the counselor had me draw my family tree on the board. Then he had me circle <clears throat> anybody who suffered from depression and or addiction. And I said to him, well, it would probably be easier if I circled the people who do not suffer from depression and addiction. And what he said to me then was, do you realize you are genetically loaded for depression and addiction? You're genetically loaded. So that was the first time that I felt God revealing something to me. That I carried some baggage from my family of origin and I needed to come to terms with it. I needed to have a plan that dealt with that because you know what? We all have weaknesses, don't we? We all have something in our life that we wrestle with, whether we carry it from childhood, whether we picked it up along the way. And we need to understand that that's an area where Satan will attack us because it's an area of weakness. That was a big revelation for me. <clears throat> okay, so let's start with the recovery thing, the final recovery thing, the big one, which is about 12 or 15 years ago. I had just got fired again. being a nurse, I think I worked in every hospital in Lake County at one time or another. And I had just come off about a six-month binge where I was doing drugs every day, every day. I got up in the morning, I would do something. Get through work, I would do something. At lunchtime, I would go do something. And of course, like I said, you can only keep that up for so long when it catches up to you. And um, there was another relationship issue going on. And so finally it caught up to me and... I got caught at work <clears throat> diverting narcotics that actually is a crime. <clears throat> so if a nurse is supposed to give a morphine to a patient and that nurse uses it for themselves, that's called diversion. That's, uh, that's illegal. That's a crime. <clears throat> and I got caught doing that. And, um, <clears throat> and as a result of that, I lost my nursing license. So the state of Illinois, the professional of education, Department of Professional Regulation and Education. I had to appear before them, and they took my license away. They put me on, uh, they took it away for a year. So here I am now, no nursing license, and I always use my nursing license to recover. Because even though you got fired, it's really easy to find a job in nursing, and I was good at that, and I would work hard and get overtime and fix all the damage I had done, whatever was fixable. I discovered that really a lot of it you don't really fix. You can fix the finances, but it's hard to fix a wound that's been inflicted into your spouse or your children. That takes time. <clears throat> so here I was and at that point in time my wife who had gone through this for 20 years and had been through the whole relationship thing and drug thing and rehab thing, well guess what? <clears throat> she had enough. And who could blame her? <clears throat> she, I, w- I would crash and then beg for forgiveness, and promise I'd never do it again, and she would forgive me, and we start the whole process all over again. She reached a point where I think even God said to her, you don't have to deal with it anymore. So here I was about 12 years ago, no job, no place to live, looking at divorce, no money, no food, no friends, because I burned all my bridges, didn't have much of a family left, because you know, alcoholics, we don't really have family, we have hostages, it's hard to have a relationship with people when you're drinking and drugging. It's not really a, a cool situation. So, at that point in time, I really realized that things were bad, and I was really f- broken up that my marriage was going to end up in divorce. I really did not want that. Because what puzzled me was, gee, she put up with it for 20 years. You mean now you're telling me you want a divorce? Can't I just say I'm sorry and we'll fix this? You know, people can only take so much. And actually, people shouldn't take so much because sometimes in love, we need to cut people off and set them free. There's scriptural basis for that. When there were some things going on in the body of Christ and Paul said, you know what? Throw them out for the salvation of their soul. Sometimes, you know, the whole enabling thing, we support a a destructive process. And at one point in time, we need to say, "I'm, I'm sorry, I love you. My wife said to me, I love you. You gave me three beautiful children. but I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. <clears throat> so there I was, on my knees before God, really weeping that my marriage was coming to divorce. Lost my nursing license. That never happened before. So you see, every time you, every time you relapse, you lose a little bit more. And this time, this relapse, I had lost everything. Nursing license, my wife, my relationship with my children was, as you can imagine, tentative at best. Uh, I have a daughter who didn't speak to me for one year, a year. She was so wounded by all that was going on, a year. Um, that We've passed that year, thank God, and uh, we're back on terms now. Um, so it was a bad point. So I'm on my knees, telling God I'm really, God, here's what I said, God, I looks like there's no other solution now. I am headed for divorce. It seems to be the only option. Now, there's been times in my life when I really felt like God spoke to me, and this was one of them. Not that I heard a voice. It was just a sense of his presence and a message coming through that said to me, no, divorce is not your only option. I can fix this. But first, you and I have to get back on the same page because you're far away from me wandering out in the desert and I can't do anything with your marriage until I get together with you and, and correct what's going on with you. So he literally had to ask me to put my marriage aside because I would want to try and run and fix it. And that was not working because I would all do the wrong things. So God said, you leave Pam and the kids right over here and you come with me And we're going to talk a little bit. So that was the beginning of a process. Because, you know, there's a scripture in in Romans that says, uh, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the ways of the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I needed a total thinking makeover. I was extremely selfish, self-centered, hedonistic, Narcissistic, and I cared about nothing else but Charlie. That's how I ran my life. Get out of my way. It didn't matter to me that my wife had to go to a food pantry to get food for our children as long as I had money for my little fun activities. I didn't care. That's her problem. So here I was now, really at the lowest point in my life. So, how does God do that? When God says, I'm going to fix your marriage, how does He do that? didn't just wave a magic wand and make everything better. It didn't happen that way. It took time. Probably, well, we're still actually, we're still growing, <clears throat> but the worst is behind us. <clears throat> so I want to describe to you several things that God did to help really <clears throat> change my thought process because, like I said, I had some ideas that were not healthy, and you all know people, I'm sure, in your life that are just kind of a little bit goofy with their ideas, Yes? How do you change that when those thoughts are so deeply ingrained, those attitudes become part of who we are? How do you reverse that? Some people go to counseling. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Some people go to prayer. Some people go to church. God can do that. And when he does it, believe me, it's a total makeover. Talk about flipping a house. He flipped me spiritually okay and here's what he did i'm going to describe several situations because what he did was he he used obnoxious people to act as mirrors for my behavior he held up like a mirror if you hold up a mirror and you see yourself oh my gosh there's a pimple oh there's a thing over there god did that through people in my life and here's how it worked so my wife had pretty much kicked me out and I, had a place to li- I needed to find a place to live and get a job. So I got my nursing license back, and at first the only place I could find a job was L.A. County Jail. Because <clears throat> a lot of hospitals will not hire you as a nurse if you're on probation. And even though I got my license back, I was on probation for a year and had to do, you know, drug screens, uh, random drug screens. So I, wasn't, I was having trouble finding a job until someone told me, go to the jail, they're desperate. <clears throat> so I went to the jail, and I figured I really need to be honest with this guy because you can go into the website for the Department of Education and look up someone's license and tell if they've been disciplined, and if you click that, it'll even give you more details. So I went into the jail really, and I met with this guy. I said, "Look, I'm a recovering drug addict. I just got my license back. I'm trying to get my my life together. If if you hire me, I will give you 100 to 10 percent. I will work any shift, any holiday, any weekend." And he gave me a chance. His uh, name's Dave, he's a good friend of mine now. <clears throat> so, what started happening at the jail was I ran into people that were in jail because of their destructive behavior. A lot of alcoholics, a lot of drug addicts in jail. And as I would hand out medications or do sick call in the jail, if you do sick call, they bring the inmates to you at the clinic in the jail. And I would get to know some of these guys, and I became really amazed at how similar I was to them but I was never arrested or put in jail. And I started to develop this really deep feeling of gratitude and and humility, key to recovery, humility, because I, I... I didn't have to deal with some of the consequences that these men had to deal with. And I started to change my thinking a little bit to realize how lucky I was and how destructive I had been and how God was really giving me another chance. As a matter of fact, I wrestle with that sometimes because I have some friends that are Christian and are still using drugs. They're still relapsing. Or men that go back to prison, out of prison, back to prison, rehab, out of rehab. And I would say to God, why am I sober? I don't have any more willpower than they do. do they, did you give me more grace than you gave them? Because I know grace is a big factor. And I discovered that God gives us all the grace we need to make changes in our life, but that we need to really walk in that and exercise that grace. And for me, that was going to recovery meetings, getting involved in Celebrate Recovery, going to church, reading my Bible. Those, those are the things I had to do to walk out the grace that God gave me. Because I was, often would struggle with that. A friend of mine would say, Why why are you sober? You're just as bad as I was. Why you got it together? And I would say, Amen to grace. And he would say, Where's my grace? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so I found a place to live with my sister and her family. We rented a house together. Now, this was another thing where God started to show me things. I really felt like it was a play like a Shakespeare play, and I'm out here watching this act unfold. And I saw my sister, who's an active alcoholic, God bless her, um, not in recovery yet, and the man that she was living with and her children, and it was the dysfunctional dynamics were really incredible. I was able to sit back and watch and think, oh my gosh, look how he's talking to his wife. Look how these kids are acting uh, and and I as I would see that and God would say to me, yeah, yeah, hello, that's look familiar. And so I started to see the dysfunction right in front of me, as like a, as someone in the theater would, like you're sitting in here now. And it God opened up my mind, started to open up my mind to see the things that were going on, and and I started to get some actual regret and repentance in my life, and that was. The beginning of the process, it continued. So here's what happened. Uh, My sister lost her... The kids in the house lost their job. We couldn't afford it anymore, and it was time to move out. Plus, my wife, who had been in a big house in Waukegan, wanted to get out of there and move to Lake Villa into an apartment. So it came time to move out of the house. And we discovered... The deal was I would pay half the rent, my sister would pay half the rent, and my nephew, who was an adult, would pay all the utility bills. Well, when it came time to leave, we found out there was like five or $600 worth of utility bills that he never paid. And when I confronted him, he said, I'm sorry, I, I, I've been relapsing, I've been using, I've been spending the money on, on drugs. <clears throat> and, of course, everything was in my name, so it fell back on me. So, of course, I was upset with him. And now, at this point in time, Pam, my wife, and I started to talk a little bit, even though the the divorce thing was kind of hovering over us. Things were starting to change, so we kind of was putting that on hold. And I called her, and I said, do you know what Nathan did? He's hiding the bills when they came in. He was putting them aside so we didn't see them. I thought he was paying the, the gas bill or the electric bill, and he wasn't doing that at all, and it's all coming back on me. I'm responsible for $600 of utility bills. This is so cool, how God works. What do you think my wife said? (laughs) She said, do you know how many credit card accounts you had that I did not know about? Do you know how many times a bill would come in the mail that you were not able to intercept? And I got it and opened it, and it was like for $1,200 or $1,000 when I was struggling to keep things together? Do you know how many times you were supposed to pay some bills and you ran off and used it on drugs? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Now, did I know that I was doing that stuff? Well, of course I did. I'm not stupid. I just didn't care. I didn't care. I wanted what I wanted. I didn't care what they had or didn't have. But here I am on the other side of the coin now. The reverse has taken place, and now I'm the recipient of the bill instead of the perpetrator and I got a brief glimpse into what I had put my wife through and a little thing went off of my head from God who just said mm, you wanted me to fix this well I got to show you what's going on and that was a bit of a healing because I was able to say to her man that's that's uh, I, did that, I did that didn't I I did do that didn't I I did put us in financial ruin several times, wow, I'm, 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 I really feel bad about that. Now I had said I was sorry a million times to my wife for everything you can think of. Come home drunk, yeah, I'm sorry, okay, what's for dinner? Well, how's that for an apology, right, I'm sorry, what's for dinner? That has about as much meaning as as, uh, as I don't know what, not much, that's for sure. So so. You can see God starting to show me, first in the jail system and now through my own family. Okay, so <clears throat> she wanted out of the house in Waukegan. I said, fine. I went and we found an apartment in Lake Villa that overlooks Deep Lake. It was beautiful. We moved her into the apartment in Lake Villa. We really weren't ready to get back together yet. So I came back to the house in Waukegan, a big house in Waukegan, a big, big house, lots and lots of... So here I am in this house, four-bedroom house with a basement and a big backyard, and I Once again, I started communicating with God. I said, hey, God, Father, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this big house with four bedrooms? And what do you think he said? He said, I want you to open up your home to men in recovery. I'm like, wow, wow. (laughs) Are you sure that's what you want me to do? So I did. I got the word out to people at the chapel and to people in AA and celebrate recovery. And I said, hey, I got some rooms. I'm looking for guys. I do have some requirements. Number one, they're serious about recovery. Number two, they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And number three, they're willing to contribute in whatever way they can. I didn't say you have to pay 200 a month or 300 or 50 I just said contribute. And, I just, and God said, I will, I will make it work. So I had to trust him. Trust? I had to trust him. <clears throat> it's something I, we wrestled with when I was growing up. The three rules in a dysfunctional family are don't talk, don't trust, and don't feel. So I had some trust things going on. So I think in a two-year period, about 12 people came through the house. And here's how God developed this whole concept of the mirror thing. First guy, Greg. Great guy. I love him to death. I discovered that he was hiding liquor bottles all over the place. I would find some in the garage, in the shed. He had one under the sink in the downstairs bathroom. <clears throat> so I had to confront him. And I said, hey, Greg, come on, man. We're, we're trying to stay sober here. We're trying, to, we're trying to get our act together. You're my brother in recovery. I, I, I can't let you do this. <clears throat> it's a threat to the sobriety of everybody else in this house. And it's got to stop. You can't do it. <clears throat> it tells me that you're sneaking, you're hiding, you're lying. And, you know, recovery is based heavily on honesty. The AA Big Book says in the, in the first chapter, it says, those who do not recover are those who do not have the ability to be honest. So honesty and humility are big in recovery. So, you know, he promised not to do it again, and here, it was a chance for me to share with Pam. So I called Pam, and I said, honey, do you know what Greg's doing? He's got bottles over here, he's got bottles over there. And you know what's coming, right? <laughs> She's just listening to me. She said, yeah. Did he hide anything in the attic where you used to put it? Uh, no, I didn't check the attic. Did he hide anything in the ceiling tiles of the basement where you, you put your cocaine? Did he do any of that? So obviously you can see what God's doing. I'm like, okay, 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 oh, okay I get it. And it was another revelation. And it was another, <clears throat> it was another strengthening of our wounded relationship because we're being honest now. She's honestly confronting me. I had a revelation from God, and we were able to look at it, and I was able to say, "Wow, I, man, was I uh, really jerked back then, wasn't I?" So a little healing took place in the marriage, just like it did when I talked about the money thing. So we're starting to heal a little bit now. <clears throat> OK, next big event. <clears throat> I kind of put the divorce thing on hold because we found out that our daughter was getting married. <clears throat> and, you know, bad time to get divorced right before your daughter gets married." Um, so we put that on hold, and that was, that was such a God thing. <clears throat> so we fly out to Washington, D.C. together, in the same plane sitting next to each other. We even shared the hotel for a couple days. And it came time to <clears throat> the rehearsal dinner, right? Now, my relationship with my children was not the best. They knew what I had done. They knew how I had hurt their mother, so it was guarded, my oldest son even said to me once, Dad, what, what, now, my oldest son who was 22, 23 at the time came to me and he said, Dad, what, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? Now, I thought the father was supposed to say that to the son. What are you doing? Get your act together. But this is the son saying this to the father, Dad, what are you doing? <clears throat> so, my relationship with my children was not the best. I will tell you today that my relationship with my children is incredible. It's fantastic, and that's another God story. Maybe next week. <clears throat> so, we go to D.C. We're at the rehearsal thing, right, where you got to practice walking down the aisle, and I walked my daughter down the aisle. She was cool with me doing that. <clears throat> now, since I really wasn't that much a part of her life because of my life choices, I didn't really know the guy she was marrying. I met him once. I couldn't even remember his name. I had to ask my wife, "What's it? what, is it? what does he go by? D.A.? Okay, okay, cool. So, <clears throat> I walked down the aisle in the rehearsal, and I gave, who gives this hand to marry this guy? and You know how that works. And uh, I handed her off to my future son-in-law. And I went back and I sat down and I thought, you know, does this guy have any idea what I'm giving him? Does he have a clue that this is my daughter, my firstborn daughter? Does he know in any way whatsoever what she means to me, how precious she is to me, how much I love her. This is my daughter. I'm giving this guy my daughter. Does he get that? And as I stand here before you, God whispered in my ear and he said, yeah, I did the same thing with you. I gave you my daughter. I gave you my princess, to have and to hold and to love and to cherish, and you really didn't do a very good job. Now, it was not a voice of condemnation. It was not like he was spanking me or yelling at me, you bad boy. It was a sweet, gentle conviction. It wasn't angry or condemning or judgmental. It was just God saying to me, hey Charlie I gave you my daughter my precious daughter to have and to hold and you know what you kind of dropped the ball. So wow, wow eyes open, holy mackerel. You know it changes your perspective when you look at it that way. Right guys? When you understand that your spouse was originally God's daughter and that he gave her to you as a gift and went wow I thought she was just something that did the laundry and did the dishes and paid the bills when I wasn't around and raised the children. <clears throat> that was a, I don't know what you would call that, a revelation, a God moment. Why did I not know that before? I don't know. I watched the way you know the men in my family treat women. So I didn't understand that concept. But that was a huge thing for me. <clears throat> so I realized that I really had no concept of, of what God's idea for marriage was. So when we got back from the wedding and hooked up with some guys from Celebrate Recovery, we read a couple of books together. The first one we read was John Piper's book called This Momentary Marriage. Anybody hear of that? This Momentary Marriage? He talked about marriage. What is marriage? Hang on, excuse me a minute. It's a covenant. It's a vow that you take that you expect to be honored. <clears throat> and here's the thing, it is a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. Marriage is a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. When you enter into marriage, you take a vow. It's a covenant. It's not a passing fancy. It's not something that I'll do for a couple of years if I, I feel like I can do something different. There's no such thing as a starter marriage <clears throat> it's not how we intended it to be and see these are new things for me I know that sounds weird <clears throat> but I had a really dysfunctional thought process and God had to reverse all that, <clears throat> and that's one of the things he did so <clears throat> I really started to see <clears throat> how I had things really totally backwards, okay a couple more things back at the house <clears throat> one of the guys <clears throat> excuse me who had a long history of cocaine abuse, so I really kind of loved this guy because he's my brother, disappeared one day for like a day and a half. We, we didn't know what happened. I thought maybe he ran off, he got a job, he got tired, he just, but I, I figured he probably went on a binge because if you get involved in a, a binge with certain drugs, you can disappear for days. Well, <clears throat> we were kind of just praying for him and hoping for the best, and, and I went down to the basement to get something. I heard some noise. I thought it was a mouse. I went down into the corner of the basement behind the furnace, in the corner of the basement, and there he was on the floor behind the furnace, hiding. Like, Keith, what are you doing, man? Nothing. Get out of there. So I got him out of there. We go upstairs. And of course, you're not going to fool a fellow addict. I know the game. I know the denial. I know the, the excuses. You're not, you're not going to put that past me. But he tried. I said, okay, I know, you're, I know you're using. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Keith, come on, man. I, I've done what you just did. I've disappeared for days. I know the look in your eye. I see the paranoia in your voice. No, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. He just would not admit to me what he was doing. He just wouldn't. And I, 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 I felt wounded, I use that word, wounded, because this guy's my brother in Christ. He's my, my brother in recovery. I love this guy. I shook him. Keith, man, you're my brother. I love you, man. What, what are you doing? I, I can't help you if you don't tell me the truth. We have no relationship without the truth. We have nothing to base trust on without truth and honesty. You see where this is going, Right? <clears throat> I can't help. Come on, man. Be. And he, he couldn't. He just couldn't. He just couldn't. So we just kind of let it go for a while. So, of course, um, gee, I called Pam. <laughs> Honey, do you know what Keith just did to me? And it described the whole thing. And as I'm describing this, the Holy Spirit is kind of nudging me. And I'm realizing as I'm telling her the story that that's exactly what I did for Years. Years. And so at the end of the story I didn't wait for her to say anything I just said Didn't did you know that I lied to you all the time? I mean was that evident? Did you know that? Because how could we have a relationship if I was never honest and you can if you're not honest there's no trust. What do you have if you don't have honesty and you don't have trust? What do you have? Nothing. All relationships are based upon honesty and trust, and we didn't have any of that. So I said to her, did you, did you know that? Did you know the time I was, I was lying? And she's not stupid. She said, well, of course I knew. Of course I knew. And I said, wait a minute. What are you doing here? Why, why are you still here? Why are you still with me? Why are we still married if we have no trust No honesty, but a relationship that's just a joke filled with deceit and lies and unfaithfulness. And the next thing that she said was a revelation from God. She said, because I took a vow. I took a vow before my God and my family that I would honor you and love you and cherish you in sickness and in health, in the good times and the bad times, till death do us part. I can't tell you what a concept that was. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? You stayed because of a vow you took? Vows didn't mean anything to me. I didn't keep any vows or covenants. She stayed because she took a vow. And I, once again, God, in his amazing way to speak to our spirit, said to me, hey, You wanted to know what marriage is like. You want to know what love is really like. There it is, standing right in front of you. Ah, that was a healing moment. That was a healing moment. To know that you can honor a vow if you didn't feel like it. Feelings got nothing to do with it. I ran around and used drugs because I felt like it. I didn't feel like I was in love with her anymore. How ridiculous a concept is that! Is How ridiculous a concept is that? You think Christ hung on the cross because he felt like it? Here, I feel like being crucified. Here, I feel like having a crown of thorns driven into my skull. Come on, do it. I can't wait. Jesus Christ suffered on the cross because he loved us, because he was obeying a directive from his Father and he was willing to sacrifice and honor his father through obedience. Isn't that what marriage is, respecting and honoring a covenant and a vow that you take despite what you feel? Because, you know, there's all these times when we have ups and downs in marriages. I don't always feel like I love her. Feelings really become irrelevant, because we know, don't we, that love is what? What is love? It's a choice. It's a choice to be obedient and faithful to a vow that you took, and that was foreign to me. So here's the weird thing. I spent most of my life looking for commitment and love and relationship and what it really means, and here all along, standing right in front of me, right in front of me. Whew, wow. Uh, amazing woman, an amazing woman. I was just really floored by that, and st- God's starting to put it together. I'm starting to get it. The thought processes are being reworked. God is renewing my mind. <clears throat> I want to give you one more example. <clears throat> so it came time to sell the house because it was too much of a financial burden, and Pam actually suggested that we try moving back in together. Yay! I was cautious, yay. So we got rid of the house on Waukegan. We're living together in Lake Villa. And that was a time when God called me away from the chapel because he said, your time here is done. And we started to go into St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Lindenhurst because we wanted to go to the same place. Okay, so we're studying. We're going to the adult Bible class. And we're studying this book called Sacred Marriage. Anybody read Sacred Marriage? Okay, that's okay. So... In our adult Bible class, we would take turns reading, <clears throat> reading the book. And it was my turn to read. We were at a part in the book when the author was describing this woman that he was counseling. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the woman was describing the deep pain and woundedness that she felt when her husband came home one day and he was not wearing his wedding band. And she went on in the book to describe how that felt. And I'm reading this. And see, I did that. I took off my wedding band during our bad days. And I took it off to spite her. I took it off to say to her, I don't need you. I can drink and drug and run around anytime I want to. Here, took off the ring, planted on the desk. No idea what that must have felt like, none, totally clueless, and I never would have known what it felt like, but here I was in a Bible study, reading this book, describing this woman and how she felt when her husband took off the wedding band, and I'm trying really hard not to totally lose it, because the Holy Spirit is all over me, all over me, and it's like slowly, you suddenly realize, oh my God. That's what I did. I did that. I, the one that took off the wedding band, and I'm reading about how it felt. Oh my God! Where's Pam? She's sitting right next to me. Now the class came to an end, and I was gonna. I had to. I had to say something to her because I knew that that this was affecting her too. And I, I went to say something, but somebody distracted me, and she got up and left. So. I chased her into the parking lot at the church, middle of the parking lot, she's getting into the car to go home, right? And I I, I could not let this go. So I caught her at the door before she getting in the car. I said, honey, honey, honey. Did you hear what I just read in that book? Dumb question, right? Did you hear the story that I just read in there about the woman whose husband took off the wedding band and how much that hurt? I did that. I did that, remember? Remember? Yeah, remember. And she said, well, of course I remember. I said, is, is that how it felt? Is that how it felt? What that woman felt, what I just read? Is that, is it, really, does it hurt that much? Were you that wounded? She could hardly speak. Wounded? Yeah. We're, we're both re- like in tears now in the parking lot of the church with the Holy Spirit, oh my God, thank you, the Holy Spirit all over us. And I just all I could say was, I, 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 I'm so sorry. I had, no, I had no idea. See, God was putting me in touch with her wound. He was moving that little wound aside and saying, "Hey, Charlie, come here, take take a look at this. See this wound right here on her heart? She got that when you took the wedding band off. And let me tell you something. You can apologize. Till the cows come home and say you're sorry for this and for that. But it has a whole new meaning when God puts you in touch with the pain that you cause someone that you love. And it was certainly reflected in my apology. I just didn't blow it off and say, oh, hey, sorry about the ring thing. <clears throat> no, I had a clear vision of what happened, and we're, now we're, we're in the parking lot, and I and I will never again in my life Take this thing off, ring off my finger. You will bury me with this ring on my finger. I, I am so, so, so sorry. And we embraced in the parking lot, probably crying. I was crying. People walking around, probably looking at what are this crazy couple doing. And right there on a the spot in the parking lot on a Sunday morning, God closed that marital wound a little further So see what he did? He took the circumstances of everyday life and he used them to bring healing and to change my mind because my mind needed a revolution. That's why one of the steps I really love with AA is step 11, which says we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. That was my prayer every day in the early days of recovery. Every day I'd get up and say, God, what do you got for today? What's going on today? I'm yours. This is not the Charlie birth method. This is your method. What do you want to do today? And I really, I really meant that prayer. And, and look what God did. He brought situations and people, sometimes obnoxious people, into my life to act as mirrors, to show me my behavior. And then he gently... And softly, as only he could do, helped me down when I was crashing. Pick, picked me up when I was crashing. Took my hand and say, Here, just, I want to show you something that's been happening with your marriage. It's going to be ugly. Just hang on a second. I want you to take a look at this. We'll get through it together. And that, I'm telling you, I, I, healing took place at that moment in that parking lot. And he is so good at that. His ways, which are so higher than ours, he could have slapped me side of the head with a two-by-four. He could have put me in prison. He could have had me involved in a car accident, but he didn't. He gently and respectfully and with great care and love walked me through a healing process that I am so grateful for today. Would you say that my wife's pretty incredible? Would you stand up, honey? (laughs) perfect yet we still have bad days Uh, but one thing is we're committed to the covenant that we took almost 39 years ago and what we would like to do right now is pray for the married people here um how many married couples do we have oh good we got some if you if you're not sitting next to your spouse can you please get next to your spouse if that's possible and i'm going to pray for the um the husbands and pam's going to pray for the wives okay can we do that join hands join hands you lovebirds <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I lift up the men in this church and I ask you to strengthen them, to bless them, to give them the gift of wisdom and knowledge and power so that they may be the leaders of the household where you have placed them, where they can love and honor and cherish the woman, your daughter, that you gave them.
0: And Father, I just thank you for each and every wife is here. Lord, I ask that you would help them to have respect for their husbands, to love, to honor, to cherish them, to know what a gem that they have in their lives. And Father, help them to grow together as one. One in you, Father. We thank you and we praise you for the gift of marriage. You may now kiss the bride. <coughs> Guys, can we uh, thank Charlie and Pam one more time?